yo, I'm not sure if you're aware of this or not, but I'm trying to get fired as a consultant. I'm trying to get my clients to fire me because I'm a consultant that has a job, not a business. I am not reliant or hopeful that clients stay on with me every single month, paying me a subscription fee. That is the opposite of what I want. I want to work with someone when they have specific problems. I want to help devise the tactics and strategies to solve those problems. And then when they don't need me anymore, I want them to graduate and go back on to being autonomous and kicking ass. If they ever need me again, they know how to reach out to me. But I pride myself on a business as a business consultant who's not trying to create a business out of your money, out of your subscription. I just want this as a job, and I like taking job by job, problem by problem, and getting to work with multiple different owners. I work with only 40 owners per month. That is 20 hours of consulting total for me per month. That is my limit. That's what I want out of my work-life balance. And recently, we've just graduated about five or six, I think, owners You know, to no longer doing monthly calls with me. The problems are solved. They're good. They know you know, the holler at their boy if something pops up again in the future. But this gives me opportunity and room to work with new owners and help solve new problems. If you are someone who has some specific issues and you have not been able to figure them out and you would like for me to tailor create a solution for you and then help you execute on it, shoot me a DM on Instagram at WTF Gym Talk. I'd love to learn more about what you've got going on. All right, guys, on with the podcast. What is up, guys? It is Stu, and it is another episode of the What the Fuck Gym Talk podcast. And I've got Matthew Becker of the Gym Lawyers on the podcast today. Matt, thank you for coming on, dude. Morning, Stu. Thanks for having me on. Real pleasure. Uh, fan of the podcast. Fan of the content you're putting out, fan of the Instagram, um, love it all. So thanks, Appreciate real it. pleasure being on today. Appreciate it, man. Yeah, I came, um, I came across your stuff at some at some point in time. I believe maybe we got connected. We're, did we get connected via Mariana Tech at some point for the podcast over there? Yeah, I think was, actually no, I think that the was, way that we that got was, connected. Go ahead. Like when I first started, uh, a little bit over a year, um, I. Chris Cooper put me in contact with a whole bunch of various like other professionals within yeah. the, the micro gym sphere. And those guys sent me a couple of names as well. And I think that's where your name originally popped up. Got it. Um, and I think I, I cold emailed you and said, Hey, let's be friends. And, yeah. Okay. So <laughs> I, and like... there was another organization it's called a like conscious council. I, I, I host a podcast for another company as well. Um, and maybe mm -hmm. that's the group that we had on, or we were going to have on over there. We did. Um, but anyway, I, the reason I, you know, I get your newsletter and I oh, enjoyed yeah. it and I was like, oh, the, these are good. These are quick, uh, bite size, but they're legit. This is, these are relative conversations. And especially I started looking at it a lot more when I opened the gym real estate company and you and me are very similar, mm -hmm. right? You are as a lawyer, uh, what state can you practice in? Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania PA. Okay. Yep. So I, as a broker can only, you know, I can, I'm only licensed in North Carolina. However, I consult with clients on consulting things and we've created unique agreements with landlords and the tenants that allow me to essentially help them um, through non-broker-like activities and mm -hmm. uh, in other states. And I, I imagine you're doing something very similar when you have clients outside of PA. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it ends up being a lot of education and consultation work. Um, just really helping people understand 
what are the laws? How do the laws work? How do they impact you and your gym? What do you need to do in your gym in order to become compliant with these laws? Um, and so, no, we don't, you know, I, we don't go file documents. I don't, I don't call other attorneys and say, Hey, I'm, I'm representing so-and-so gym. Um, I can't do anything like that. That gets too much practice in other States, but you know, there's a lot that we can do as you do in sort of like this consultative role in a non-attorney, but educated format um, so that I can help the gym owners really understand what's going on. Yeah. Do you find, I mean, for you and obviously your, your, you know, your law license, your practice, your, are you operating in how gray of an area are you operating in that way? Is it kind of like telehealth where like these doctors are, you know, again, they've, I, how gray is it? When you first got into this, did you really have to kind of scratch your chin and be like, okay, fuck, well, how, how am I going to work with clients in states in which I don't have, I, I, you know, I haven't taken the bar in that state. Yeah. 100%. That was, that was a big roadblock that I encountered when I first started looking around is, is what is the exact service that I can offer that doesn't end up becoming what's considered the unauthorized practice of law, which just because I'm an attorney, you know, if I'm not licensed in North Carolina, even though I'm an attorney, if I come there and, and start representing clients as an attorney, it's still considered the unauthorized practice of law. So what, what we do is, you know, we walk this gray area to basically say, you know, if, if you call me, we're talking general legal principles, um, or we're talking general legal information that is out there and available to you if you know where it is and you know what it is that you're looking for, et cetera. You know, let me, let me use a quick example. So a lot of states have things called like health club acts, some variation thereof. Um, and that's usually a set of statutes that control what you can and can't put into a membership contract, oftentimes dictating that these gyms have to have membership contracts. For me, I'm not going in and, and issuing a, a legal opinion about whether or not you need this in your membership contract. I'm coming in and saying, look, this is what your state statute says. Now that you know that, you as a business owner need to make your own business decision about whether or not you're going to put it in your membership contract. So it, it's a little bit of a gray area in the sense that I am talking state-specific information, but we stay on the line of not the unauthorized practice because I'm not issuing legal opinions. Yeah. Um, I'm not saying, Hey, I'm your attorney. Yeah. Let me go call this Floridian attorney and tell him to go pound salt on their cease and desist letter. You know, I can't do that. Or the once, once it gets that specific, I start calling local attorneys and say, Hey, you know, let me vet you just to make sure you understand what's going on here. And then I refer them out to the gym owner. It's so interesting how similar what I did with the gym real estate company, what you're doing is, you know, I've, I essentially, uh, you know, I'm not a, we, we essentially position ourselves. We are not brokers. We consult on site, you know, appropriate site selection, uh, mm -hmm. financial viability of a particular location, all these things, because I can't act in, in broker actions in these States and then receive a fee for like a traditional broker would. I can, you know, the real estate commission, in those States would, would be not very happy with all that if I'm coming in and, and performing broker activities, but you go, I go to a landlord and they're like, wait, what, you're the broker. I'm like, no, 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 we're not, I'm not a broker. Mm -hmm. I am a business consultant. We specify, we specify in site selection, financial viability, operational capacity, and then we work with the client for up for a year or more 
once they're in your space. So you now have, uh, you know, I'll be working with them and showing them this is what this space could do for you business wise. And then if they were to sign a lease with you, your you uh you know we have a fee that is equal to similar to a broker uh x percent of the the total annual so it is it's a very gray area and there's a lot that go that goes into that and making sure you don't because there's stuff that you do want to say and stuff that you do want to do that you oh, have yeah. to you know you have to you know and maybe it's on the phone on a non-recorded line and maybe you know it's it's but whatever um but no i i can i feel you on that gray area space um staying on that on that front this uh, COVID brought about a lot of work for me in terms of gym owners uh, that were tenants and their financial position um, suffered during COVID, obviously, and to the tune where well, I have a PG, but I'm got to shut this thing down. I'm not going to be yeah. able to fulfill the full lease. Right. There was a lot of that. And some landlords uh, were very forgiving and understanding. Others were not held them to the letter of the lease. Talk to me about some of the real estate lease specific legal matters that you've seen and encountered and that you've been consulting on. Um, I'd be really curious to see uh, if we've been running into the same stuff. Um, I'm, I haven't. So uh, let me, uh, the two primary areas. I was going to say, I don't have a lot um, because we started this post COVID. I don't have a lot of consultative practice and negotiating um, you know, updated lease terms or or different lease terms during the COVID and, and and the shutdown and everything else. But now we're walking into to two primary issues. One being coming up for renewals, and we're walking into situations where um, the tenant, the the gym owner, doesn't want to leave uh, because leaving a location, finding a new location, is incredibly disruptive to your gym business, um, and so they don't want to leave. They want to sign a new lease. Now we have to deal with the fact that this new lease has new terms, probably not super favorable to the gym owner because now the landlord is also freaked out about more shutdowns or anything like that. But then we have these grace periods that we have to deal with if you know, the landlord allowed them to furlough their lease you know, for three or six months. And now they're, they were supposed to make up for that, but they haven't been. Um, and so this, it really enters into a lot of negotiation on, you know, are you capable of signing the new lease under the new terms? And what are we going to do with all of the money that you still owe the landlord? Um, do you find a lot so, of that was actually trued up or I, I've, I initially found these were a lot of like handshake kind of conversations, the landlord, you know, a lot of them didn't do their due diligence and paper it. Right. The gym owner didn't get it papered. So now you got a hearsay argument. And, yep. you know, I found most courts are tenant favorable in these situations, especially if it has some kind of res if it resonates from COVID. Um, mm -hmm. But still, I mean, at the end of the day, you know, this going to court isn't really about who's right. It's who can afford to do it for the longer for the for the term, you know, yes. ultimately. Um I'll share the story here in a little bit. I got sued for over $90,000 by my tenant when I, um, when I retired here just in 2021 and um, it really sucked, but we'll get in a minute. But so talk to me about that. So you're seeing these scenarios and just so everyone is understanding, let's say a landlord gave you X amount of months of forgiven rent during a hard time. We'll call it COVID or for whatever, it could be at any period mm -hmm. for whatever reason. It could be anything. Right? And then when your lease is up for renewal, you're like, yeah, I want to stay here. They're like, cool, but we got this matter to address. I took care of you for three months, no rent. That is a sum of X amount of dollars. 
how are we going to do that? Are we going to sprinkle it across every month over the next 12 or 36 or, you know, 60, however many months the lease is? What do you see in typically? Um, so what I'm seeing is the landlord typically wants to take that and then pepper it throughout the new lease. So let's say you just came off of a five-year lease and you're exercising your single or second option to renew for an additional five years. The landlord's then going to take that and say, okay, you know, I, for, I, I let you out of about $20,000, let's call round numbers of, of payments while you were shut down and not able to operate your business. It, yes, like you said, never in writing, right? So <laughs> we have a little bit of an argument there about, you know, let's push back a little bit on this because he can't prove it. Um, but uh, yeah, the landlord- But do you want to have they, a shit relationship with the guy for the next five well, years? Well, yeah, you're right, right. And, 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 I'm, and I'm getting there. And, and so we say, you know, you've got $20,000 and the landlord says, okay, over the next five years, we're going to spread that out. And I'm just going to increase your payments each month by whatever $20,000 divided over 60 months is. Um, oh, and by the way, I'm going to raise you up to the current fair market value of your rent. Oh, and by the way, I'm now paranoid. So I'm going to make this thing a triple net, uh, you know, and all these costs go up. And so I end up having stepping into with the gym owner and saying, you know, what's the cost benefit analysis here that we can look at? How much can you afford? Let's go worst case scenario. You know, let's go, how bad do you need this location? And if you need this location to the point that you don't have other options or you don't want to exercise other options, what is the worst case scenario? Okay. And can you afford that? Okay. You, We've made, sorry, go, go ahead. ahead. No, no, you go. No. Keep kidding. We've made that decision, so let's walk it back now. And as we walk it back, pick your line in the sand. You know, you're going to go back to the landlord and you're going to say, look, I can't do that, but here's what I can do. And the two of you are going to go back and forth to the point that you hit your line in the sand. And this is an unbiased, unemotional, we simply can't do it beyond this point. Um, and, and so that's usually where the gym owners go back uh, because like you said, you don't want to go back and, and tell your landlord to go pound salt on this stuff because then the landlord's going to get pissed off and, you know, and to some sense, they literally hold the keys right to your business. Um, so that's usually where we're able to step in in that scenario and consult on the back end with the gym owner and the gym owners will then go back to the landlords and, and the landlords will then send the messages back with, you know, I'll, I'll do this, but I can't do this or I'll do this. And, and then the gym owner will come back to me and, and we'll kind of put together another negotiation. We'll send it back over to the landlord and we go back and forth until either we hit that line and the, and the gym owner is forced to make a decision or the gym owner has gotten to a point where, yeah, they're going to see an increase um, but it's not going to be super detrimental. So that's, that's really interesting. Um, I run into this a lot, the same, very similar scenario. And that word afford, this is one that I, I cannot mm. express to everyone enough. This is not subjective. Like you ask a gym owner, can you afford it? And unfortunately, yeah. a lot of gym owners are going to make decisions based on hopes and prayers and, and how they feel yep. in the moment. And, you know, they just watched Rocky one and two and they're like on top <laughs> of the world. And they're like, and so I'm like, no, 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 real quick. It, the number I always use is this rent just the base rent. And if it's triple net factor that in as well, don't factor in the utilities or all that, just your base rent. If you have a, a gross lease or a triple net, just what you owe every month, 
guaranteed for the next however, is it more than 25% of what you generate in gross revenue? If it is, like it's over 25%, it's not advisable. Simple right. as that. Simple as that. Yeah. You just break down the margins. You know, the average gym, it, you know, is going to have in the the mid twenties on a you know a good gym on the mid twenties kind of profit margin. You just kind of work the numbers backwards, and you're like, yeah, I can't afford for my op, you know, my my this this main nut, my rent to be more than twenty five percent of what I make. Uh, oh well, we'll make more if we get this if we stay in this space. And it's yeah. always if I'm like, no, no, no. If you could have made more, you would have already done it in this current yep. space. Could you yep. create an argument for me that? We can make more in a brand new space that's in a retail shopping plaza with marbles. Maybe, like, yes, maybe you can make that argument. But yeah, if it's the current one, and now the lease renewal jacks up your rates, like you said, going from a, a you know a gross industrial, which is one flat number, the uh, operating expenses and all that, if they go up on the owner, his taxes, his insurance, his common area maintenance. If that goes up, that's on the landlord. Versus mm -hmm. a triple net, you're paying for everything. Landlord, I mean, I, 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 as a landlord myself, I would never do anything but a triple net because I don't want to have to fucking worry about market fluctuation. Right. It's as easy as that. So, um, you know, in that triple net, guys, you're paying for everything. If his property taxes spike up because there's generally an, what do we call an octennial appraisal, uh, reevaluation or appraisal that the counties do, it depends on the municipality, every eight years, you might see, boom, oh shit, his property tax insurance just skyrocketed. And now guess who's going to have to pay that? That is you, homie. That is 100% that is you, the tenant, if you're in a triple net and you're the sole tenant. So where are you seeing? Are you, you know, I advise people to sign the longest lease possible when they first get started and bet on themselves. Because in my opinion, I would love your legal advice because this is just, this is not based on legal. And I'd love your opinion on this. Someone says, hey, Stu, they want to, you know, I think I'm going to sign a three-year lease on this spot. And I'm like, why? And they're like, well, you know, I feel like it's good, you know, I don't know, it's a good spot. It's, you know, if I make it, I make it. And if not, we can renew. I'm like, bro, you understand you're getting, you're picking this spot because it's below fair market value. You're in a, like a gentrifying mm -hmm. area. You know, that's what most gym owners do. They find a spot at their first location, unless they're well capitalized in an area where the, they can afford the rent. And it's generally not a lot that they can yeah. afford. Well, I'm like, homie, it, in seven years, this place is going to take off. Right. Like it doesn't take much. Go look at your city's uh, public access TV and go look at the the zoning board hearings and look at all the things that are getting rezoned now and look at what's coming. Like it's, it's not difficult research. What happens in three years? Your lease is up. Sure, you have renewables, but most leases are not going to like rent protect you. Most landlords are not signing rent protection no. as it turns over to the lease renewal. So, oh, but Stu, I've got an initial three and I can renew. I have two more three-year renewables. That's nine total years. Yeah, um, great. That's nine years. Yeah, <laughs> it's not year, but shit. it's only three at this current rate. Right. You know, yep. so, um, yep. and so these guys, they go with these shorter term leases and I tell them, listen, bet on yourself, even because you're going to probably have to sign a PG, personal guarantee. Fuck it. Oh, yeah. I would tell you bet on yourself here. Even if you fail, you know, realistically, landlords can't take what you don't have. Right. Like, you know, this, you, like people, oh, he's going to get sued. Like you think people can't take yep. what you don't have. Um, okay. But I, I don't know. I'm always, I'm always telling people go with the longer lease and bet on yourself because it sucks to work your ass off for three to five years. Cause that's all you sign a lease for. And you built up a you know built up an audience a clientele base and now the area is cool now a brewery moved in down the street and a few apartment mm -hmm. complexes and a Starbucks awesome well guess what 
now it's lease renewal time and you can't afford it and you have to move and start all over again. There's nothing worse than that. No. Yeah, I know. Oh man, I, I did it once and I will never do it again in my gym. It was, it was a terrible month. Uh, but anyway, um, so I, anytime I look at a lease and, and see that it's less than five years, I get real nervous. Um, so, you know, like you, I don't know that I'm, I'm comfortable telling a, a new gym owner to go in and sign like a 10 or 12 year lease, unless they're like super gung ho and ready to go for it. And they understand exactly what it is that they're signing up for. Uh, but anything five years to 10 years, go for it. Um, because yeah, it, you know, that, that three years, great three years. How quickly does three years go by? You're going to spend three years trying to grow the business just sure. to, to be profitable. And then you're going to sign on for another three years. Okay, cool. You're now six years. Maybe you're at a point where you're sort of resting now and, and you've got some good profit coming in out and everything else, but you hit that six years, what now you're going to move. Sure. Um, so much better to get five years, six years, seven year out of the gate and use that time to build it, take the risk, build it. Um, and hopefully by that point, you can absorb an increase when it comes time to renew. The other thing that I often look for, and I, know, I know you asked more of my personal advice than my legal advice, but looking at the other end of it, the length of a term of a lease gives you a lot of negotiating power when it comes to um, the price of the, the, the base rent per square foot, as well as that personal guarantee. <clears throat> you know, yes, if you, we're going to suggest you put the, the name of the lease in your LLC, 100% do it, do not sign it as, as yourself. Um, and then everybody goes, but I'm going to get a personal guarantee. Fine. That's great. We can negotiate the terms of the personal guarantee. We're not going to be able to negotiate the terms of the lease that much. And one of the ways that we can negotiate the terms of a personal guarantee is by adjusting the term of the lease. So I'll sign a seven-year lease if you let me out of my personal guarantee in three years, right? Yeah. Really great opportunity there. You just elongated your lease. Great. You're betting on yourself. Cool. You're giving yourself an opportunity to build in this space and grow and become profitable and everything else. In two to three years from now, you're not going to have to worry about that personal guarantee. So that's one area of concern and liability that's just wiped right off. Yeah. And, and you can get creative, guys, when it comes to the personal guarantee. Um, we just did one recently. So the the two the two main options I like are kind of um, the downgrading. So maybe if it's a seven-year lease, years one through three, you're 100% responsible years four through five you're down to you know 50 percent, and then like you know six through the end of it you're down to zero right or whatever it may be or you can do what's yep. called a rolling pg a rolling personal guarantee where at any given time you're only liable for one year's worth of rent payments so even if you died out in year one and you still have four more years left on a five-year lease You'd only be liable financially for one year. It's a rolling year per PG. So there are options and things like that. And, um, but yeah, it's so funny, man. It's like, this is the stuff that like, when I, when I signed my first lease, I had a broker who didn't give a shit because my space was way mm. too small, right? Because they're not making, mm -hmm. she's mm -hmm. not making a good amount of commission on my spot. It was 1,700 square feet. I was like a pain in her ass, right? right. Um, she has like shopping plaza clients that she's trying to make, you know, $85,000 commission on. And I'm sitting here going to make her maybe about two grand, if that. Yeah. Um, we'll, we'll talk, let's talk about the team on the commercial real estate side. I tell everybody, you have to have 
a lawyer who understands real estate contracts because brokers can't write legal language. Like not allowed. We can make recommendations, but we cannot draft up legal language. It's not not what we do. It's not what we know how to do. Are you brought into a lot of these kind of um, ever on the legal side for people on the lease? Like, hey, I got a broker and I want to make an amendment to the lease or I want to actually just be an addendum in addition to based on the decibels I'm going to generate in the vibration. And I want to make sure I'm protected by my sound and vibration that I'll create. Um, no. And by that point, that's when, you know, if they're working with a broker and there's somebody on the other side and they want real specific language that may or may not be sort of custom to that area, you know, it, yes, I will, I will make some suggestions on form language if I'm asked. Um, but if it, if it all sniffs or smells at all of something very local, I got to push that off. Sure. I have to be real careful about, um, you know, it, especially when you look at some of the, the crazier states like California and Louisiana and some of those where they've got it's a, a little bit more nuanced laws than just general legal principles. You know, at that point, you know, if they're asking for real specific stuff, I start to search around a little bit and see, is this kind of something that's state specific? Like, like, you know, I have clients from California every once in a while call me and talk about um, common property states. Well, that's real state specific to California and some other states. Um, what is I that common property? That. What does that mean? Uh, common property comes into play when um, you go to get a divorce, and you know if, if we're in a, if we're in an equitable distribution state, that means uh, you know if I divorce my wife, then we both come to the table and say, well, based on what we've done to bring value to the marriage and everything else. I get 40% and she gets 60%. Yep. Now, what is, what, is, what is equitable versus a common property state typically means an equal distribution, meaning that all debts and all liabilities are split 50-50. So this can impact the individual who is signing the lease um, because if one person, whether or not they, you know, let's assume they even put it in the name of their LLC, uh, they at least got step one right, but then they go and they sign a personal guarantee for themselves. And then the marriage breaks up. You know, there's an argument on behalf of the attorney representing the husband that as part of the common property state, she should have to absorb 50% of that debt. Um, you know, there, there's at least an argument there, whether or not yeah. it's a legitimate argument. Um, so, you know, I had a, a gym owner reach out to me the other week. Um, they're coming up on a lease negotiation with a really awful landlord. And he said, well, the problem is I'm in a common property state. I'm in California. I said, okay, that's whatever. I don't know why that made it so that she had to sign the personal guarantee. But again, this is state specific. So I gotta be careful about how, how much I talk about these things with the, with the client. So I said, send me a copy of the lease. And he sends me a copy of the lease. Turns out that it was not named in the LLC. There was not a personal guarantee. The whole lease was named in the husband and wife jointly. So it didn't really matter what common property, you know, what yeah, state they, they could were have been in. any state. Yeah. yeah, they they both they both signed this lease. Um, but now he's going to come to me and ask to help negotiate a renewal to try to get them off of the lease and sign it in the name of the LLC. And if a broker comes to me and asks for that sort of language. 
I can talk to the broker generally about this stuff and tell them, you know, this is the kind of language that um, that needs to be in there. But if the broker wants me to start drafting very specific language, I got to be real careful. And, and sure. there are times when I have to call local attorneys and just say, look, I'll, I'll kick you a fee. I'll, I'll hire you for some, some language, uh, but I can't do that. Yeah, no, I, I understand. And in, you know, in the real estate stuff, are you finding when the, when people come to you with a real estate question type scenario, was it naivete and maybe a little ignorance and maybe they were just overly excited to sign this lease and beginning their entrepreneurial journey? Or are you finding like shystiness on the landlord or maybe the, the broker side, either representing the tenant or the, the landlord? Mm-hmm. Now, I don't, I don't know that I would say there's any kind of sh- shystiness that I see in there. Um, I think the majority of, of what I'm seeing is just ignorance. Sure. And, and I don't mean that like in a negative, like, ah, you're so ignorant, you know, just in the sense that they just, these individuals don't know. Um, and that's in large part, what are this sort of like the educational part of what I do is designed to, to fill that gap is they just don't know. They don't know that you need an LLC. They don't know that you need to sign this in the name of the LLC. They don't know that you, you need to double check the approximate square footage on your lease because it can verify, you know, it could vary by up to 20%. Because you're going off some listing uh, information from the last. Yeah, correct. Yeah, call (laughs) Accu, get a tape measure kit. This, um, Matt, that's such good advice. Like I tell everyone, either if you got the money, look up AccuMeasure services in your area. They'll come out with lasers, boom, 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 10 minutes. They're going to have exact square footage or just get yourself a fucking tape measure and do it yourself. Yeah, just measure it yourself because it is insane how many of these listings are li- are showing a listing for 3,900 square feet. And then you check it seven times. And you're like, no, I'm pretty sure I'm not stupid. I can do the math. This is 3,450. Right. And that's a huge difference. <laughs> that's a big difference when you're paying $10 a square foot. Sure. You know, plus percent uh, in cam fees, cam fees uh, plus yeah. percent in triple net. And, and um, but anyway, so, you know, I... Yeah, I think I think in some sense there's there's a I'm new and I'm excited and I just want to get this thing started and my lease is holding me up so I'm just going to sign it and whatever. And but I think in large part they just don't know. They just, just new new gym owners and really oftentimes experienced gym owners and sometimes buying and selling, you know, they just don't know to look into this stuff. Um, so that's where I think the biggest gap lies is just with the education of don't, don't just blind sign this, you know, it is sometimes, I mean, I've, I've seen commercial leases up to like 55 pages, Oh yes. right? No, no human in their right mind wants to sit down with a pot of coffee and go through 55 pages of shit just to try to figure out what it is they are and aren't agreeing to. But there are people like us who will do it. <laughs> yeah. I will, I will happily sit down on a Saturday morning and comb through your lease and tell you exactly what it is that you're, you're signing so that, you know, because you actually understand it. Like, you know, I, right. I know tenant say the same thing. He's like, Oh, I read through the lease. I'm like, do you speak legalese? He goes, what? I'm like, did you know what the fucking half that shit meant? Like, he's like, well, some of it was confusing, yeah. but I Googled it. I'm like, Oh my God, it, uh, brother. It's like, again, you're reading something in a different language. Yeah, and yeah, you know, just just on on let's let's go look at triple net. You, you, we we can stand here. We can say triple net 
fine. It just means that the, the gym owner is paying for all of the expenses, right? All, the insurance premiums, the, the real estate taxes, uh, all the cam fees, whatever it is. But you got to dive into that because, you know, is it, when is it going to be reassessed? Yeah. Is it moved into the base rent? Is it a lump sum that is going to nail you in March? You know, th- there's different ways that, that gym owners end up having to pay this triple net fee. And sometimes they can have pretty big financial ramifications. Oh, yeah. I, uh, <laughs> I had a guy tell me, he's like, hey, I got my triple net, you know, blah, blah. And I looked at the lease and I was like, all right, so you're 22 a square foot. And I did the math. Your, your cam and triple net should be an additional 250 like, I don't think your base rent, I don't think your rental amount includes triple net. He goes, no, it does. It does. And I'm like, I, again, I carried the one, like I did the basic seventh yeah. grade math. It, I don't think it does. He goes, oh, it does. It does. I'm like, okay. Eight months later. So he got hit kind of like balloon, not balloon payment, but I mean, essentially it was all due at once. So essentially the yep. landlord at the end of the year trues up, he knows what he paid for his insurance. He can show the receipt. He knows what he paid to the County for taxes on the property. He could show the receipt and he can show the, the, you know, the landscaping maintenance, the, this maintenance, yep. whatever common air maintenance. And he just adds the receipts up. Boom. There it is. And then turns around to the tenant and says, here, here's the, the triple net cost. And this guy calls me back and I was like, I, I'm so glad I recorded that Zoom call where you literally told me seven <laughs> times that I was wrong on this. But it, you're right, that that can happen. I um I'm curious on this, and obviously the industry I'm about to refer to has gotten uh, you know, COVID and supply chain and things like this. I'm mainly running into a lot of gym owners having to then, you know, kind of the op, op you know, have to try to put liens, not mechanics liens, because that's on the tenant, uh, but like having to go after contractors who, you know, stopped the job and quit, you know, walked out on a job halfway through or didn't do the job right when they were upfitting the facility, whether they funded the upfit or the landlord provided TI and the work is not being done appropriately or up to code and it's causing delays, which cost them opportunity cost, hard line cost. Mm-hmm. Have you run into any of those where you've got, you know, clients who are like, dude, this this electrician did the whole thing wrong the entire time we can't pass inspection. And now he's not answering the phone and I've already paid him 40 grand. I actually have not. And I've, I've been waiting for gym owners to start to call me with contractor issues yeah. um, because I, if we don't anymore, because I know we changed some of the language on the website sort of as our services have developed and I've seen really where, where gyms need it. So I know we did at one point, put on their, you know, review of, uh, review of, of contract, uh, contracts with contractors. Um, and, and I know what you're talking about is clearly beyond the scope of a contract, but, um, when I was practicing more full-time, just practicing litigation here in, in, in Pennsylvania, you know, I sued a lot of contractors and one of the most difficult things about proving a case against contractors, the fact that they don't put anything in writing. There's never so, anything in writing. Oh my God. It's the worst. Just put something in writing with a timetable, which of course they never want to, because the exact issue that you're talking about, there's all kinds of supply chain issues. So they don't want to say that your project's going to be done in, in two yeah. months, uh, but change orders are made over text message oh, and all this kind of stuff. Yes. Yeah. It, it gets miserable. Um, so I am waiting for gym owners to contact me with these contractor issues. 
ideally, as with everything you and I both do, as early as possible in the process of when it even becomes an idea in your brain, Correct. you need to start calling people and, and talking to professionals because the decisions that you make from day one are ultimately going to come up on day 55. Um, but I tell people that, that that preventative is- maintenance. So, you know, everyone's, again, they're starting a gym. They're trying to do as economically as possible. A yeah. line item for law services to ensure I'm not getting screwed over, it doesn't really penetrate the sense of urgency barrier. But I'm letting right. everyone know, I'm like, listen, preventative maintenance cost X. However, retrodating this preventative mm-hmm. maintenance after the fact costs probably three to five X. Yeah. I, um, yeah. And so I want to share that story. So uh, I was, the, I owned the building. I was the sole tenant in the building, my gym, ESC Fitness, the LLC, and then ESC Fitness sublet to two additional tenants. Well, uh, as the as the landlord, as the owner of the building, we opted to dissolve ESC Fitness's lease. And with that, by the letter of the law in North Carolina, I mean, there's multiple precedents. Like, there's no question asked. All those subtenant leases dissolve with the master lease. Okay. okay. So, master lease dissolved. That's papered, documented. It's down at the register. Deeds, we're good to go. New lease signed with a, a brewery, 10 year lease. Super excited about that. One of the subtenants goes to her lawyer. The lawyer literally says, You, you go to court, you're not gonna, you're not gonna win this thing. However, the way the North Carolina law writes, if she files litigation against me, she gets to stay in the space until litigation's over. <sighs> and now yeah. she knows she can drag that shit out for as long yep. as she really wants. And now I've got this brand new tenant that I had told him, oh, you get to start on this date. You can, you get the keys and everything. And he's like, we can't move forward with you having a current subtenant in there. Our insurance won't cover it. The GCs won't touch it. So now she knows I've got to play a game. She knows how much money they're going to be paying me a month in rent. She, so it's just a math equation. Am I willing to pay the stupid amount of money to her to make her go away so that I can start making my tenant money? And yep. um, it was a complete shakedown. And uh, I, you know, but you know what? Again, all this shit I'm talking right now with you, Matt, but guys, you got to make sure, blah, blah, blah. You know what I didn't do? I didn't. I knew there was that was going to be my exit play. But my plan was around 20. I never put anything into the subleases about no. uh, about, you know, it what in the in the case in which your lease is dissolved or whatever, not due to the fault or anything like that. This is what happens. But I knew that was the end goal. But again, I'm a gym owner. I'm busy. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. I, I just kind of forget this little Monday detail. Mm-hmm. And Mm -hmm. I paid out the ass. We are seeing that uh, similar issue come up a a bit recently as buildings are selling and tenants are very very nervous about whether or not um, their lease has to be carried on to the new owner. Sure. And and so just as you, you found out, you didn't put a provision in there in the sublease that said, you know, in the event that the original lease terminates, yours terminates also. You know, we we look at we look for one of the things we look for in a lease is are you the gym owner protected in your lease if the building owner turns around tomorrow and decides to sell the building? Um, because nine times out of ten, that language isn't in there. And Do you the recommend owner starts- always recording the lease with the city? Yes. yes. Will you explain, to everyone, Matt, what that what that means? Um, 
So it, there's some states that require them to record. So what that does is, is that takes the lease and that puts it on record that this lease exists and it can in some, in some instances provide a cloud to the deed so that the deed cannot be transferred without acknowledging something that happens to the lease, whether again, it, it opens up the, does the lease continue or does the lease terminate? But if you record it, then it shows up as a cloud on the deed and the deed cannot just be transferred as easily as it could be if you don't record it. Um, it I, that, I, sorry, I was, was recommend... that legalese too much? <laughs> no, 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 that was, that was great. I mean, that was exactly how I would describe it. So I'm gonna, I essentially say the same thing, like recording the lease it gives you an extra layer of protection by taking it down to the register of deeds, recording it with the city. If the landlord did want to sell the building, he there is additional hoops to be jumped through at this point. It will not be as it wouldn't be as clean cut. And your local lawyer, whoever you hire to represent you, because that's generally, especially let's say a gym just put in some new money into the floor, did some things and and business is going good. You're going to fight to stay there. Right. Yeah. You, you yeah. have an extra layer of protection. Now, again, it's not a guaranteed victory but I, I no. do think it puts you in a much better position. Yep. What, That's it. What, um, let me ask you this. Let, if we were to transition kind of from real estate over to some other functions of the micro gym. So mm -hmm. I, uh, <clears throat> last year, this year, I can't remember. Um, you know, I made a, but I, I started making official courses on uh, a particular topic that is near and dear to my heart in the consulting world. And that is price raises. Price raises are just generally something that come with a lot of anxiety and stress oh, yeah. and crunching the numbers. And what do we need to raise the price to and all this? And um, a lawyer in San Francisco who also owned probably one of the most successful CrossFit gyms in the city of San Francisco for a very long time, uh, her and her husband, uh, <laughs> they she installed in their lease an annual increase on the birthday of the lease. You mean the 3%. membership contract? Yeah, the membership contract yep. was yep. your membership contract will experience a 3% annual increase on the annual anniversary of the of the membership blah 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 blah. And I heard that and I heard that years ago and I was like, "Oh, that's good." Because this yeah. back and forth, like every two years, I got to raise the price. I'm going to piss some people off. But if you install it in the contract ahead of time, you make mm -hmm. sure it's well, you know, it's people initial and sign under it. They're aware of it. Nobody really thinks about 3% of a gym membership, you know, three bucks or six bucks or sit, whatever it is, and, you know, going per month going up. But every time you have to send a fucking email every two years, but hey, remember, we're, we're, yeah. we're raising the price again. Yeah. And then every time Jim was like, well, do I have to buy a bunch more equipment to justify the cost and, and, and paint the walls a new color? Like, no. Talk to me about that. How, what do gym owners need to check based on their state if they're allowed to do that? Hmm. That's a really interesting question that I've never come across in state statutes of anything that prevents an increase. That's the, th that's what I've said. And I've said like, literally I've had people like, no, I talked to my lawyer and I can't do this. I'm like, well, well what do you mean? You're a private establishment. You're right. essentially membership based. You're like a country club. You are allowed to deny, like, what do you mean? You, your a lawyer said that you can't create an, a, a set recurring annual increase. So, all right, I could probably put something together that would make that argument legitimate. 
let's say I've, I've never seen anything in a state statute that I've looked at that specifically says, once you set the price, you cannot increase it. All right. Now that said, if somebody's going to come to me and, and want me to make an argument that you can't do this, you know, and, and, and I'm going to pull the state statutes to start looking at things. Each state, let's understand, each state is, is very specific and very individual if they even have um, some sort of a health club act. Some states do not. Okay, most states do. Uh, and usually what it's going to say is something similar to if you uh, pre-sell, and I'm not talking about before you open, I mean, like if you, if I charge you on on December 1 for you to be able to come through the gym through December, that is usually considered pre-selling you into a membership. Okay. So if I pre-sell you a membership, then I'm required to put everything in writing and I may or may not be able to take automatic payments on a regular recurring basis without you re-signing the contract every time I do it. So and in that instance, I could see where you could make an argument that if that's what your state says, unless I'm having you re-sign a contract, I can't just automatically up the fee on you without getting your approval on the new price in the contract. And I can so, make that argument, but it's sure. not as clear as, as, as the question you're asking is not as clear as P, I think people make it out to be. Cor yeah, correct. And I mean – and then reel out the practicality of it. So Sally, the client, is upset about the 3% thing. Is she going to take you to court over this thing? Is it worth it? Mm -hmm. And at that point where you could just be, all right, Sally, fine, fuck it. You don't have a 3% increase. Like what? Or, or <laughs> you know, you stick it out because you don't, you call her bluff. She's not actually going to take you to court over it. Um, yeah, I mean, let, let's go non-legal advice. Just one entrepreneur's practical, you know, would you yay or nay to the, to the annual 3% increase? So one of the things that one of the services that we provide is, is membership contract uh, form drafting, and we'll put in sections that involve your state, and then we'll put in all of your preferences for cancellations and renewals and terms, and, and then we always put in form language. Every one of our contracts has form language that says you reserve the automatic, you, you reserve the right to increase your membership between two to 5% on an annual basis without notice to the membership. Um, it's, it's, it's there. Whether or not you choose to exercise it, I believe, is, as you said, if, if, I, if I go to my membership right now and I say, hey, guys, I'm raising your membership, $5, I get freakouts. Yeah. And people are going to cancel. Um, but if it's in the membership contract, then that at least softens the blow, if nothing else, that, hey, it's in your membership contract that we can raise it two to 5%. If I sell you a $200 a year or a month membership, what's 2% of that is? Yeah. Is that even I was doing the bucks? math on, yeah, I was doing the math. <laughs> if, you, if you guys had, uh, if you did 25,000 of TMR, total monthly revenue, and you're going to do a 3% annual increase, and this is just, let's say it's total monthly revenue from your, your memberships only, not no retail, anything. And you did a 3% increase at 750 bucks a month. That's an extra nine grand a year, which, you know, blah, blah divided by 25,000. So you made a 36% increase in revenue annually with just that one thing that's going to happen like a crock pot, set it and forget it annually. 
Yeah. So from an entrepreneurial standpoint, yes, very much. Um, and then the, the other aspect of that is short of doing something illegal, if you want to do something, put it in writing and put it in your membership contract. Make yeah. sure that people know exactly what it is that they're going to expect on a yearly basis, on a monthly basis, on a daily basis, whatever it is, but don't hide the ball. Sure. Just put it in the contract. And at least you can then say, here's the copy of the contract that you signed that says very explicitly, I reserve the right to raise your membership two to 5% on a yearly basis or three or whatever you want to say. Yep. Uh, Matt, were you around? Were you pra- How long have you been practicing law for? Uh, 13 years, 14, what's, I don't know, 2009. What does that make me? Cool. Um, yeah. yeah, 13 years. How old are you? I am 39. 39. Okay. I'll be turning 37 here in uh, about a month. So when I was coming up, I came up through the Globo Gym. I started, I found CrossFit and I, I kind of went up into the Globo Gym to learn the business side of everything. Cause mm-hmm. back then in 2006 and seven, no one doing CrossFit had fucking clue what they were doing no. business wise. But you nope. know, we did Gold's Gym, LA Fitness, yeah. all that stuff. So we constantly had what we called like the wheelchair vigilantes. And we had people that would watch out at these health clubs for someone to come in who needed you know, an ADA bathroom, someone who was in a wheelchair or mm. was using an assisted walking device and would look literally for the wet, sweaty spot on the tile floor that did not have the yellow orange cone on it that said, you know, slippery when wet, caution. And I mean, little, I, I, I was at one club that this happened at least once a quarter. Somebody would slip, fall, hurt themselves, stay down, demand an ambulance be called, and try to sue because again they looked around this Taj Mahal of a health club and they're like oh fuck these guys will settle out of court now CrossFit gyms open up okay so take that we're talking these 25 to 50,000 square foot health clubs lots of money lavish beautiful like giant hallways but they're tile and there might be some sweat from someone walking around and someone falls or whatever but then CrossFit gyms open up with ropes hanging from trusses in warehouses that haven't been inspected by structural engineers and doing shit that realistically a wheelchair vigilante should absolutely have a heyday. Not to mention the majority of CrossFit gyms opened up in industrial warehouses post the crash of 2008. And as many people should realize, and maybe this is just something I, from talking in a real estate, most warehouses do not have ADA ground grade access, right? There's steps because like you have the bay doors and the bay doors have to be high enough for a truck to back up, which means the front door is generally up steps that is not ADA compliant. There is no fucking, you know, wheelchair ramp. But once you open up a health facility inside of there, that is a reuse, you're you're changing the use of the building. You may even have to change the zoning of the building and ADA compliance comes into play. You're probably in an assembly use or something similar. Someone asked me, like, why don't more wheelchair vigilantes go after the CrossFit gyms? And I said, it's easy. They don't have enough fucking money to take from them. Like, they look at these guys and like, well, fuck, what am I going to get from these guys? Right. If I, even I go in there and I make a complaint that, hey, I can't get in there because I don't, I, there's no wheelchair access, you know, uh, you're just going to cause a headache for that owner. You know, you're not even able to get in to claim that you fell from the top rope while you're doing a rope climb in this workout. It's, um, but yeah, it's so interesting because I saw like I saw these guys try to take advantage of these big health clubs for years. And then there's all these little, you know, CrossFit gyms all over the place that 
100% could be could be totally got by one of these guys. Um, and they just haven't been. And I, my only guess was like, there's just not enough money there. Uh, so you're walking into an area of law that I avoid like the plague and maybe I shouldn't, but you know, during, during practice, anytime anybody said ADA taxation or bankruptcy, or, or, you know, those were three that very quickly got me to run in the opposite direction as fast as possible. Um, so I'm going to talk out my ass here for a second. Uh, I believe at somewhere along the line, there is either an employee it can't be a membership number requirement. Let's go with an employee number requirement that, again, I'm going to say it again, could be completely wrong on this, but I think this might have something to do with it. That if you are like under 20 employees, you don't have to um, follow all of the various ADA guidelines and inside your space. Um, now, I, I'd be very happy if somebody you know, left a comment to this podcast and said, I'm completely wrong. And this is what it really is. That's fine. I'm, I'm saying, I don't know, but I think that might be part of it. I think you're probably right as well, that they just look at it and say, there's no money here. Why are we going to go in and create a headache for somebody? Um, I also think a lot of it just falls under the radar. Sure. You know, if, if, if you go, if you go looking for my gym and I have to do this all the time, whenever somebody comes new to my gym, I send them an email that says, here's, step-by-step -step directions on how to find me because I am buried in an industrial area. And so when I took down a wall in, um, oh, right before you, right year before COVID, I took down a wall, a, a center block wall in my gym um, in order to, to increase the space. And I asked whether or not I needed to get a permit in order to take down the wall. And I, I believe, I just kind of buried my head, I believe that we were supposed to get a permit, but we didn't worry about it because all the bricks went out the back of the building. And if you look at the front of the building, you cannot tell that there is a gym in the building. If you drive around the building, you cannot tell that there's a gym in the building. The only time that you can tell that there's a gym is either if you're standing behind the building when the garage door goes up or watching my members run around the building to run 400 meter sprints. Um, so I think all of those factors in play kind of go into why we haven't really seen an issue. Um, you know, there low, are low visibility. Sure. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Low visibility. Yeah. Um, you know, th there are other things that I can talk about like that, that I'm a little bit more familiar with in the law that gyms are required in most States to do, you know, ADA is more federal, but I'm talking you know, state, state kind of stuff that gyms are supposed to do, but they don't do. And States just ignore it. They yeah. just never they never look into it sure. because we all are just so small and so little bones that do you ever get you know, freaked out when you have your annual fire inspection? They come to check your fire extinguishers and all that, that you're like, Oh fuck, is this fire marshal going to be in a bad mood? And be like, you know, let me pull the plans here. Cause the plans that are permitted don't show this wall being gone. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> and um, we haven't had an issue with it yet. Yeah. So I know, right. Cross your fingers. Right. <laughs> what uh what, what's the name of your gym industrial athletics and we're we're in pa uh pittsburgh I'm okay located just on the north side of pittsburgh okay are you a steelers fan yeah um if i was a sports fan i would be a steelers fan sure yeah fair enough fair enough so. no I'm a, I'm a big cleveland browns fan so i'm uh i'm hardwired okay. to 
to shit on you people, but I, uh, I like you, Matt. I like you, um, Matt, dude, this was, this was phenomenal. And I'm, I am glad that I, I have a colleague in the space that someone who, um, a has a similar business structure as what I do with the real estate company. And, um, yeah. you know, you, we see a, a mirage of different, um, a different problems and issues that, you know, a lot of times gym owners, they don't necessarily, they don't need actual go to court legal advice. A lot of this can be either coached through negotiation or how to handle it or what to accept or what you should do. And it doesn't need to go that route. It's just like, I don't believe in today's day and age, you need a broker. Like I joke, I tell buddies that are in the, and this is no offense to anyone who does this, but if you're a residential broker, how the fuck do you have to feel like you're going to have any job security in the next five to 10 years with Zillow? Is Zillow yeah. doing a better job at you with finding your, but your buddy, his next home? No, like Zillow is going to do better. So I'm like, you know, brokers don't have to even be local. I think this is an archaic system that we have. I, you know, with what you do and you're able to do the consulting, I think so much is probably preventable. You probably in some scenarios don't even need a in-state attorney or lawyer and got, and again, if it gets that bad to where you do, you obviously have more serious problems, but I, I I'm glad that there's someone that's niched into this on the, on the legal side. I've had actually uh, another a woman who I'm very close with great colleague of mine, Rachel Brenke shows the fit legally. Mm -hmm. And I just, I think there's great people like you guys that are, um, that are obviously your, your gym owner. So you obviously get it. I just, uh, it's always nice for a gym owner to have a professional service professional who is also the thing that they are. It is. I remember yeah, feeling you. that level yeah. of reassurance myself. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, I'll say the, the majority of the things that gym owners call me about, unless they know why they're calling me, right. Like, I need a membership contract. Cool. You know, whatever, but otherwise just they, they call because they don't know and yeah. they're smart enough to pick up the phone and whether they heard me on a podcast or saw a blog post or something, they're smart, smart enough just to call and ask. And nine times out of 10, I have consulting advice I can give them on how to handle the situation. So, you know, whether it's you and, and you're dealing with real estate or whether it's me and, and we're dealing with more of the legal side of things, the one message that I try to plug all the time is just call. Sure. You know, like literally the, what the, the phone number on my website is my cell. Like I'm not hiding and you're not going to get a secretary, just call or shoot me a text and let's set up a time to call because it's much better to just reach out and ask somebody a question because you don't know the answer than it is to make the assumption that you know the answer. And then you're going to call me or they're going to call you and I go, well, yeah. <laughs> Could have cost you could have cost you 150 bucks to send this letter up front, but now that you didn't send the letter and you're you're hosed by it, now it's a 500 dollars fee, right? Or or you know whatever. And, and before we go, I, I did have one question for you, um, being the expert on your side of things. Yes. Um, when I'm looking at leases, every so often you come upon like most leases or every lease is going to have a a section that requires the gym owner to maintain insurance on the building. Correct. Fine. Every so often, in addition to that, is a section that requires the gym owner to maintain workers' comp insurance as well. My beef with that is, if the gym owner is required through their lease to maintain workers' comp insurance, do they even then have the option of considering a, a, a staff member an independent contractor? Oh, because yeah. the lease requires them to maintain benefits and as soon as you maintain benefits for a staff member, 
that staff member is no longer an independent contractor. Correct. Yes, 100%. And honestly, I think that's more of a two entities, two organizations trying to, again, very rarely – and I use uh, Insight Tax uh, as my CPA and bookkeeping firm. And, and John Briggs is the yep. founder over there. Yep. He's John is yep. very big on, on working to make sure that your coaches can be listed as 1099s based on yep. the, the IRS's guidelines. I think that's more of an effort because, I mean, I don't know. More often than not, tell them what to do, when to do it, what they have to wear, blah, 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 all the things. They're W-2s, you know, for the most part. They're not 1099s. And um, I've always, I, I've seen that. I know exactly what you're referring to. And yes, I think that's, I, in my head, I'm just like, yeah, I, you kind of got to go with that, which makes it so they can't be 1099s, yeah. which is fucked. But it's like, I almost feel like that's like the IRS working together with the insurance people to be like, all right, how do we smoke <laughs> out, the, how do we smoke out this, over, this abundant 1099 thing that we think is, is not legit. But I yeah. have seen that. I know exactly yeah. what you're referring to. And that's the exact issue I hear people. Because, you know, again, you got like, I got this part-time girl. She has like three classes a week. I don't want to pay fucking health insurance taxes and stuff on her. Like, I don't want to pay the regular W-2 employee taxes. I'm like, I get it, man. I, I 100% I understand. But, you know, um, now you've got this, you know, you, you're required to have this workman's comp thing. And unfortunately, it's kind of what you got to do. Yeah. Okay. No, I appreciate you letting me know because I see it and I think, man, that's, if I'm reading this correctly and I've read through it a a dozen times, the gym owners there, they, they can't. And and again, this, these are the things that we'll point out to gym owners is you better be prepared for this because if you sign this lease as is, you have to maintain workers comp. That's going to increase your own. That's going to increase your own insurance cost. And now you're walking a real fine line. And you, you, you talk about, you started this talking about gray area, we're gray area and over into the employee realm now, because you've got it, you've got to maintain benefits. Yes. Yeah. All right. No, anyway, I'm percent right. Appreciate that. No, yo, absolutely, dude. Absolutely. Um, Matt, where, where can people find you, learn from you, you know, reach out to you? What's the best way for me in contact with you? Uh, best way to get in contact is just go to jimlawyers.com. That's G Y M, which apparently I always have to say that because people try J I M. No, we're gymnasium, G-Y-M, gymlawyers.com. Um, and there's calls to action everywhere there. The As I said, if you scroll all the way to the bottom and find the phone number, that's my cell. Um, we've got a, a YouTube page for gym lawyers. And I think the Instagram is gym underscore lawyers underscore PLLC. Yep. Awesome. I will put all that down in the podcast show notes. Uh, Matt, I'm glad we got, finally got to connect, man. Uh, you're putting out yes, some really good stuff, and I, I appreciate you. what you're doing for the micro gym owners out there. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. It's a real pleasure being on. Again, thank you for having me on. I was really looking forward to it. Have a great one. Absolutely, brother.